0: Welcome to the Health and Wellness Show on your VOCM. Now, here's your host, Dr. Mike Wall. Welcome to the show. I'm your
1: host, Dr. Mike Wall. Today, we are going to talk about nutrition. It's especially important being home these days where the fridge is within reach and our food habits are changing. You might also feel a very real pull to the cookie jar, and there may be some good scientific explanation behind that. With us to walk us through proper nutrition is Jessica Tong, registered dietitian. She works from Vancouver. She's in private health care. She works with a variety of clients from weight loss to different chronic health conditions. She has a Bachelor of Science from McGill University, and she's the founder of JessicaTongRD.com. Welcome to the show, Jessica.
2: Thank you so much, Mike. Thanks for having me.
1: No problem. And with her is Dr. Farrell Cal. He's a medical researcher who works in academic, private, and public sectors. His work has focused on the etiology of chronic diseases, in particular in the field of occupational medicine. He has a Ph.D. from the Faculty of Medicine Memorial. Welcome to the show, Farrell. Great. Hey, thanks. Thanks for being here, Mike. So, Jessica, how are things going on the West Coast with this whole pandemic situation?
2: It's, you know, on a personal level, not too bad at all. Um, The sun is shining and life goes on. We've learned to adapt. So I think initially it was challenging for everyone. It was just so brand new, but it's been, you know, eight weeks now. And I think we've really come a long way and uh, have adapted our lifestyles to make things work.
1: That's right. And it's a much different situation out here than we have in Newfoundland. Newfoundland today, getting down to uh, fewer and fewer cases, we're able to sort of flatten and almost eradicate the curve. Um, And I know you guys had a really, really fast start, but it's starting to get under control there, too, it looks like. Yeah. And Farrell, I mean, you're you're here in town in St. John's. How are you and the family making out?
3: Uh, Again, I'm locked in the house with two kids. And wife. Uh, no, and things for Grace, things are fantastic. Um, you know, we're again in the new normal now. Uh, you know, we're starting to get a good rhythm and routine going. You know, we're looking at trying to again adapt, adapt our habits and trying to make sure we're making up for all that lost physical activity out in the transit and systems, the real world. So, no, it's it's been interesting. Like I said, we have our way of going out in the system get what we need, but it's the new normal now. So, we're starting to adapt.
1: Good, good. And I think that's one of the things that we want to talk about today is the routine around food in particular, because I feel like that's one of the things that people are having the most challenges with. Um, maybe you guys could give us a bit of a background, maybe just to start off with uh, tell us a little bit about what you do in a day to day and, and, uh, and your background.
2: Mm -hmm. So in terms of work, I work with a lot of executives, busy lifestyles, a lot of travel. So a lot of my work with them is to develop strategies um, so that they can still eat healthy and fit in exercise despite their uh, busy lifestyles. Um, again, on a personal level, I love cooking. And I love to explore recipes. So, part of it is to uh, find ways that people can put food on the table that's um, healthy, nutritious, but also doable um, and doesn't require hours and hours in the kitchen.
1: Yeah, that's great. Your Instagram is awesome. It's always got tons of great recipes and, and really good ideas. So, it's a great resource for that. Uh, what about you, Farrell? <laughs>
3: Uh, again, a lot of my stuff is uh, also working
1: with some of the same, some
3: of the demographics uh, executives, but then it also travels into people that are working remote environments where they have a bit of a fix uh, of the amount of food that they have access to. So it becomes very challenging to try to help them with the you know, fixed, let's say, um, menu that they have and sometimes the access to, uh, again, foods. We don't want them to have access to what they do for what they believe to be help for pleasure, but. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of challenges in that, trying to find ways of maintaining physical activity. But a lot of my work, more so in the day-to-day, is trying to find a way to look at not only nutrition, but also physical activity and other components of physical activity to say, how can we look to uh, you know to
1: lower incidents and cases of you know chronic health conditions in those environments? Right. You're yeah, right. And those chronic health conditions are becoming more and more relevant. Think about the COVID-19 thing. Some of these uh, health conditions are actually more strongly associated with uh, how you fare if you were to catch COVID-19 than uh Than other things that we think would be, you know, uh, like things like smoking and things like that, that they're almost higher risk factors. So, um, guys, on nutrition, what are the biggest challenges that you think people are facing, Jeff?
2: Well, it's it's interesting because I was just discussing this with a group of friends, you know, all in the medical field, and. It seems like it's split down the middle. Some people feel like because of COVID-19, people are actually doing better in terms of nutrition, and some people feel like it's the opposite. I feel like in terms of challenges, one of the greatest challenges is that um, some people are facing this complete overhaul of their eating patterns. So frequent snacking or constant access to food has you know, emerged as a common issue. Um, not only are we home more and have that access, but the unpredictable nature of the pandemic um, is causing stress. People are bored from just being confined uh, or simply just don't care that much about how we feel or how we look. And we just are using that as a concession and using that to justify our eating behavior.
1: Right. Sometimes we eat our emotions. It's a very real thing. And actually, Terrell, that kind of leads me to some of the work you did um, on food addiction. It it, it appears that that food might be as addictive as some things like uh, alcohol and drugs in some cases. Is that true?
3: Oh, for sure it is. Yeah. I mean, we're looking at about, for most of the public and actual population research we did, we found about, uh, again, 1 in 20 of about 5% of the population is actually addicted to food. Um, And again, even just in this you know, state of COVID-19, we're just under that much more pressure. Uh, I mean, here on the East Coast, as you know, we have uh, certain interesting habits. Uh, we're maybe on the West Coast. They're not all, as all familiar with things like storm chips. So what uh, <laughs> happens in that situation is that you can use storm chips as a barometer. If you see sto- chips start to disappear off of a convenience store shelf, you're like, the weather's coming. Um, but now in this isolation, <laughs> it's not all that different. We still have that go out and get our snacks. And I think it's this coping mechanism of knowing that there's going to be pressures, We're looking for something for pleasure in that situation, and we maybe overload a little bit. But with people with uh, the form of addiction and the fact that these things are just ever so more real, they're definitely coping and needing to cope more. And and as you said, Mike, earlier, it's like cigarettes. It's something that people need to go to, uh, and they don't realize, again, where the source is. Is it some sort of genetic, uh, again, condition that we're still looking to research and understand, or is it coming from behavior like, um, you know, uh, just overall habits for coping? Our baby is in a mixture between the two now of looking at how cigarettes cause addiction and looking to understand that too. So it's very complex, but definitely real, no question.
1: Right. I mean, do you see that in your day-to-day work, Jess, where you can give people the information that they need, but for some reason they still can't make changes?
2: For sure. Uh, And, you know, I don't want to take away from the fact that change is very hard and takes... A lot of time and a lot of persistence to get there. Um, but I think, you know, given the COVID 19 situation where we are staying at home more, the reward that comes with going out and socializing with other people is no longer afforded to us. So we try to get that reward, that feeling reward from something else, and usually that is food. And unfortunately, it's usually the unhealthy comfort foods that prov- provide that reward stimuli. So you know, it's just given the situation, it's really harder to put um, the principles into practice. You know, we've heard it before; we know what's good and not so good for us, but to really um, put into practice is the hardest part.
1: Right, and I, I think that that goes back to some of the stuff I, I read. Some of the work you get, the guys did, Farrell, where um, it's in our it, it's in our natural advantage for us to to want to consume certain foods because for a long time food was scarce.
3: Yeah, most definitely, and that's kind of coming from that kind of thrift gene hypothesis, the idea that, you know, we could, our ancestors survived from the, uh, let's say, from the individuals who could actually eat the smallest amount of food when it was scarce and be able to, again, survive. So imagine now looking at them in this obesogenic environment where there's tons of food and calories everywhere, and they are just that much more prone to weight gain because it's what helped them to survive, but now it's a present inherent uh, within us. And to know that the food addiction itself is just inherent in all of us to want to obtain that level of pleasure. And maybe the, again, response to pleasure is, is us looking to make sure that we're getting as much of this energy food that we can. But the problem is now it's just too abundant. It was never mm-hmm. this abundant. And now that it is, it causes so many problems. So even in a COVID-19 situation, what are the things that we can get our hands uh, you know, on to very easy are things that are highly preservative-based foods. Um, and those are the things we can keep in the shelves. We can buy very frequently anywhere, convenience store or otherwise. And they're just the, the worst type of foods for us with high levels of, of macronutrients that are just causing damage.
1: Well, I'm hoping Jessica can walk us through some of this today. But I feel like, I mean, I kind of fell victim to this when, when things were starting to shut down. I went to the grocery store. And I got all my, my supplies and all the things I wanted. But I also picked up a few treats. But the reality is now I had a stockpile of treats that I normally wouldn't have in my house. And they were meant to last over a several-month period, but, you know, sometimes they, they just call into you. And so on that side, you kind of alluded to it, Jessica, like that whole comfort side of things with people being in a stressful situation. What do you think are some other ways people can kind of get over that instead of just going for the snack thing?
2: Mm-hmm. I definitely think it's it's tough because, you know, as you both mentioned, things that come in a the package, they have a longer shelf life and we tend to gravitate towards that because, you know, in the back of our minds we think that it'll last longer and it'll, you know, extend our availability of food. Uh, but the problem is that they don't deliver a lot of nutrients and they can be detrimental to our health. With COVID-19, I think it's not just the food that we find in stores. It's also the food that we are seeing on social media that's really changing our behavior. So one example is um, the whole baking trend. And as humans, we love trends, right? And while baking can have its positives and, you know, can Bring families together and be a great way to pick up a new hobby. I think we can't deny that. There's it also encourages sudden abundance of baked goods or sweets that can fuel our food addiction because of the highly refined carbohydrate content and the high glycemic load that these foods have. So I think it can be dangerous in that sense. Um, Mm -hmm. And you know, again, there there are pros and cons to these types of habits and these types of trends. But it seems like that's definitely a challenge for people right
1: now. No, I agree. I think that's something we should really discuss because a lot of people, you can't buy yeast anywhere in the stores these days because it's completely sold out. Everybody has has a chance to to spend the time at it and everybody's taking up baking. It's hilarious. But we're Mm going to take our first break. But we'll be right back here with Jessica Tong, registered dietitian, Dr. Farrell Cowell, medical researcher.
0: The Health and Wellness Show will be right back on your VOCM. Now back to Dr. Mike Wall. This is the Health and Wellness Show on your VOCM.
1: Welcome back. We're here with Jessica Tong, registered dietitian and Dr. Farrell, Cal Medical Researcher. Uh, Before the break, Jess, we were talking about the new trend where everybody is baking things from scratch. Tell us about the pros and maybe the cons of that right now.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, again, I think that the pros would be just the ability to do something with your family members um, to share the experience and to have a product that you made from scratch. It's very rewarding in itself. Uh, But the potential cons is that when you pursue that recipe and pursue the perfection of that recipe, you can be left with just a house full of baked goods and bread products, which are very energy-dense foods. And the problem with these energy-dense foods that are high in carbohydrate content is that they will light up these pleasure centers in our brain by releasing these feel-good hormones. But it also can um, cause our energy levels to plummet because of that fluctuation in your blood sugar levels. And you know, in some cases, large quantities of these foods can put you in that proverbial coma—the food coma, which is sleep-inducing and has this numbing effect. So some people actually use that because they want to distract from everything that's going on outside, and you know, maybe they don't want to, to focus on the difficult task of homeschooling their kids. So they're trying to to you know use this task, or use this new hobby um, as a way as just a distraction.
1: Yeah, and I can see that. I mean, we've got these high-calorie foods, and we're probably expending less energy on average for most people because we are trapped in the house. Now, I know that walking, according to some of the tracking technologies out there, is up about 43% in North America, which is awesome. But in general, yeah, having high-calorie foods and not a lot of outlet for it can sometimes be challenging. And I know that watching sports or watching Netflix doesn't burn a lot of calories like like playing <laughs> Yeah. So let's talk about like some of the serious implications that people need to really think about. There's a recent article that came out by The Lancet, which is a very, very well-respected medical journal. And it showed that hypertension, diabetes and coronary heart disease were the greatest risk factors uh, for complications for COVID-19 and that older adults were also at greater risk. So Farrell and I know this being here in Newfoundland, but Newfoundland has some of the highest rates of these conditions in the country and our median age is the highest in the country at 47 years old. What should people be thinking about, not only when it comes to what's going on with the pandemic, but, like, overall, like, how does their food actually impact their long-term health, Jeff?
2: Well, I I think we recognize from a lot of good quality research and long-term research that a diet rich in highly processed foods and red meat is associated with an increased risk of metabolic diseases, whereas a diet rich in fruits, vegetables, and high-quality proteins is considered cardioprotective, um, conducive to weight management, and can reduce your disease risk. So I, when we look at the pandemic as a whole, you know, at the beginning, we really took it one day at a time, focus on what was happening now. Um, and, you know, things were changing day by day. But now that we're eight weeks in, I do believe that, you know, we've seen the trends of how the disease is going and we have more information about the situation. I think it's a good time to really step back, look at the big picture and refocus on the long term. And what we can yeah. do in terms of long-term goals, long-term strategies to still keep ourselves healthy and think about, you know, just our health in the future and not just in the now.
1: Mm-hmm. And sometimes these habits take a little bit more energy to get reinforced to begin with. And if we've got a bit of extra time and a bit of extra focus and, you know, the the, the sort of bandwidth to be able to do it, it, it is a good time, I think, for people to, like, force themselves into some new things because it's going to be hard regardless. Cheryl, I mean, mm-hmm. this is your area sure. of research on the medical side. Um, why is it so important that people eat better for their health? Well,
3: see again, it's not only just the combination of the macronutrients, but it's those micronutrients that are so hard for us to dig into and try to understand a little bit more about. Um, so that's why again, it is when we look at those you know say empty calories, that's kind of what we mean is that it doesn't have good content. I could give you a high level calorie diet and have a lot of great nutrients and materials to help your metabolism and your health, but it's really just kind of looking at it from that end that it's really critical that we we gain that education but Sticking to your point about the COVID-19, the biggest challenge we have right now are those habits. You know, I know right now on the East Coast we're falling back in that traditional hoarding of of pleasure food and eating that pleasure food. Now that we're into this new normal, I'm hoping that we're starting to think about this can't last forever. We have to adjust to this new normal. We have to push away from those pleasure foods. And we have to do the hard work of trying to develop those new habits under this isolated environment where we're used to going after those pleasure foods so i think we're now starting to adapt but again as you've said this is something that can't happen overnight you have to make simple realistic you know um actual goal sets you can think long term but you have to be able to accomplish something in front of you and and chip away at that and make it realistic uh, and not be looking at saying i'm going to be you know ripped by the summer and be in great physical shape it's more about can I find a way to reduce a bit of the bacon? Can I find a way to reduce some of the carbohydrates and, and change into better proteins and better foods? Um, so it's very it's very difficult, but there's significant consequences on, on the situation right now. I mean, again, Newfoundland Labrador, we are the most overweight and obese population that there is. Um, and so that would mean just now with more isolation and more poor habits and the type of food that we hoard, uh, it, it's, it's just ever so much more difficult. Uh, I, I would see that we're going to see a significant increase in those percentages even now after COVID-19. As you stated uh, from, from my said. I definitely think it's true of Newfoundland and our population demographic. So it's very critical that people awaken, say, look, I can't maintain this habit. I have to realize that I need to make some changes because it's going to be very difficult for me when it comes to the effect of COVID-19 and fighting it, or even just my general health and returning to or existing in this new normal. So it's
1: very critical. Well, that's, a, I think it's a good point too. And I think that given the time to reflect and hearing about health on the news. All day long, and even you know our show is talking about health right now, of course, and covid nineteen because it is top of mind, but people I think maybe are a little bit more aware of what their own personal health status is because they're, they're thinking about like what happens if I'm exposed or whatever um, and so maybe that might be a motivator for some people to say, okay, look like these this is a this is a, a health condition I've had for a long time that's somewhat associated with um, the lifestyle I live, and maybe I can start to tweak some of those things we're going to get into the things we can do to be better because I think that is the most important aspect of today's chat. But before we go there, like I don't think people sometimes understand just how how addictive foods could be and how they're actually created to, to give us that. And that's why it's challenging. I think it's nice for people to realize that, okay, there's a reason why it's so hard for us to get away from. Uh, Farrell, why don't you walk us through what makes specific foods so yeah. addictive?
3: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a really great point. Uh, very often people don't realize why they're drawn to certain types of foods. And we're not going to say food addiction is equal across the board. Uh, I know for you know, certain individuals I've worked with, it's more sour, it's more sweet, it's more umami. It's all kinds of attributes of food that really seem to light up those centers for them. But overall, though, when we look at it, things that are heavy in sugar are, are causing those, those consequences and stating that they're more addictive than other types of foods. So, you know, we need to make sure that we realize that the intakes of those foods um, are causing, again, substantial issues, and it's going to be much harder for us to to kind of pull away from it. So, yeah, it's it's a, a trying to find a way to kind of simplify the, the circumstance, but it, it's quite difficult. It's quite complex to think about why it is that someone's more prone to go after one food versus another and, and how it is that we're addicted to those types of foods.
1: Yeah. Well, there are some big culprits, you know, the fat, the sugar, and the salt. Like, let's hit those three. Like, Jessica, what are the risk factors with consuming those three nutrients in mass quantities?
2: I think mass quantities of these foods, they promote weight gain. Uh, And we know that, you know, weight gain, obesity is a common risk factor for these metabolic diseases. So when we eat foods that are high in fat, sugar, salt, you know, it just drives that risk up. And another thing is that it can just cause our energy levels to plummet, which in a lot of cases, you know, it can reduce your likelihood. Uh, exercising, of moving around, which then contributes to the weight issue. So it's a bit of a domino effect. Most of the time, I find that these foods, they really don't deliver a lot of uh, nutritional value. But again, they hit a lot of those taste receptors, those, those things that we are craving. It, it really hits those notes. So we like those foods. We get satisfaction from those foods but really they're not doing much for us from a health perspective
3: uh, okay so then, like, just to, to just to yeah. jump in there I mean, it it was it was really to the point i think that what you were originally asking was you are correct in thinking that there is not such a deception but there is engineering involved here we have enough mm-hmm. knowledge and understanding about the positive impact that salty food sugar and different contents of the macronutrients the going to have on us So it's very well correct in thinking that there's a lot of challenges here because a lot of the foods that we're probably getting that are highly preservative or available through fast food are the types of foods we should be avoiding because they've been engineered to give us the maximum pleasure, to give us that maximum palatable want to eat.
1: I've heard of the term the bliss point. Explain that.
3: Yeah, exactly. Bliss point is the idea of determinant of food that can maximize bliss. So imagine if you're looking at variable types of individuals and certain types of foods that will really kind of get them on the highest scale, which can be measured in different ways. I've seen numbers Mm -hmm. of different studies do it, even with fMRI and and other types of technology. But it's very much, again, just as Jessica was saying, there's those areas that that light up, if you will, that cause us to have those pleasure responses that we're susceptible to. And, uh, again, they understand that. They understand when they're engineering food that they want them to have those, those quantities. Um, even when we look at, again, pop and the amount of sugar that's in it, it isn't necessary to have that amount of sugar in it. But, for again, for that bliss point, for that idea of that pleasure response, they, they've worked out those numbers. They know what's the best for their product. And that's right. exactly the type of thing we fight against every day when we eat food. Is, is That's why we want it, independent of the food addiction. It tastes fantastic, and it lights everything up.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that that gives us a good basis. I always like to set the tone of why people are probably struggling. We've got a change in our schedules. We're exposed to foods that are made to make us want to eat them in large quantities. And it takes a bit of education to be able to make the right choices. We're going to scoot to a break, but I'm here with Jessica Tong, registered dietitian, and Dr. Farrell Cal, medical researcher. We'll be right back.
0: The Health and Wellness Show will be right back on your VOCM. Now back to Dr. Mike Wall. This is the Health and Wellness Show on your VOCM.
1: Welcome back. I'm here with Dr. Farrell, Cal Medical Researcher and Jessica Tong, Registered Dietitian. Okay, Jessica, let's get practical here. Um, Because of physical distancing, we're supposed to be limiting our business to the grocery store these days. So what are some tips people can use to be really organized when they get there to make the best use of their time?
2: yeah for sure. So this is no surprise, but making a shopping shopping list is really valuable. Um, you might even want to have that mental blueprint of how you plan to navigate the store, and which aisles you want to go to, because if you're spending time in each aisle and only looking at recipes then, it really prolongs the time you're in the store and it may even interfere with other people's shopping. So getting organized, being prepared is really key.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I know we've got the curbside pickup here and a lot of people are using that. It takes a few extra mm-hmm. days, but you can order in advance and you can pull up and get your get your groceries loaded in. And it's funny because I yeah. thought I was a pretty good produce picker-outer, but everything I've ever gotten <laughs> just picked out by them has been almost better than what I could have gotten. So, not, not a bad that thing. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. And when you're talking about the foods, like people obviously want to have, we've talked about macronutrients and rounding things out. Like what are some, what are some key like, um, Key things they should get for like proteins or carbohydrates and things like that.
2: So even though you know when we think carbs we think you know our breads and things like that. Um, fruits and vegetables they do have carbs in them and healthier uh, sources of carbohydrates. So I find that fruits and vegetables um, are really important stable staples, staples uh, for adequate fiber, antioxidants, um, but also your your. Other micronutrients, um, vitamins and minerals, and things like that. Uh, I'll always look for things that are fresh and season, um, and things that are versatile. So, for, for example, baby kale or baby spinach, you can throw them into a saute, you can add them to smoothies, um, pastas, what have you. So, really easy to just add nutrition quickly to meals. Mm-hmm. Um, For proteins, I personally do a lot of uh, things like poultry, um, salmon, halibut, but recently we discovered uh, kangaroo meat, Um, and one of our local delivery companies, yeah, they actually deliver it, and we found out that it's actually a very lean meat and extremely sustainable, Um, and yeah, it tastes pretty good, so I think the beauty of something like this is uh, being able to discover new things that you wouldn't have otherwise known about.
1: Well, that's that's actually a good point because we won't get kangaroo meat here in Newfoundland, but we do have a lot of game and things like moose. So people have freezers full of moose, which is game and same sort of thing, lean, super tasty, and lots of great recipes from that. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, So, Farrell, you you studied uh, literally how these foods impact our satiety. And if snacking is one of our big issues, like how can we combat how full we feel by the foods we eat?
3: Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, trying to find foods that have good nutrients and, and aren't just high in those, uh, you know, again, sugars and other materials. So we know mostly, you know, independent of education, basically what junk food is. So we know we need to try to reduce some of that and say so we need to move away from it. So then we're thinking, okay, well, what is food that would be categorized as not so much junk food, right? And those really are, are foods that have good protein in them. Um, protein, through all, all the research I've done, for all the satiety hormones that I've researched, I mean protein is is the satiety hormone. It's helping to reduce your need to eat. It is the key critical component within your diet that's helping to reduce your wantingness to eat. But then there's also, let's say, food that has roughage inside that helps to create that fullness. But then independent of even the nutrients, just drinking water can be very positive for your metabolism, very positive for the feeling of fullness. So mm-hmm. it's very much of the idea for me is thinking consume more water, reduce the amount of junk food in the consumption, even again, diet drinks reduce the consumption of that material, drink water, look for food that's filling, that has good nutritious value, and then trying to look at increasing their, their positive proteins. You could be looking for legumes, nuts. Uh, I very much myself like almonds and trying to go to those, but again, not the high salt, try to keep in reducing those materials as well. Those will have a great benefit on, on slowing down. They'll, they'll activate so many uh, appetite suppressing hormones and allowing your brain to be able to reduce that need and drive to eat and continue to snack on those foods. So, Again, the, the biggest message, though, is just recognize what food is is junk and try to find a way when you do make those trips to the grocery store. Try to do your best to reduce the consumption of them. Try to dig into the pantry and find some things you can be creative with and constantly think you need to go out. What are you doing every time you go out? You're just replenishing the junk stash. You're just going out replenishing all that stuff. And all the things you bought that have preservatives that, that are good food, you're just not eating them. They're, they're in, your, in your pantry, but you're still going cool. to the grocery store even though you should
1: it's funny because you look at those boxes and they're always advertising how healthy they are. They're trying to convince you of something because they're probably not, right? Like an apple doesn't have a big yeah. sign on it saying it's healthy. Um, yeah. And I think that's a, that's a big struggle for people. It's funny. Uh, the water thing is really interesting too because I've heard that you know the weight of your stomach also dictates your satiety and water's heavy and you have it with a meal and it helps to weigh down the stomach, which gives you that feeling of fullness. While some things that are high in sugar they just really go through the system quickly and they just don't add that you know sort of. Weight to the stomach, I suppose.
3: Yeah. Exactly. There's even a yeah, little, what we call a golden tendon. It's very much you find in muscle physiology, but it's also true of stomach physiology that actually feeds neurological signals back to your brain to know that it's full. Your stomach yeah. has actually got weight to it. And you're exactly right that that is pure science.
1: Huh? And you know, Jess, on your point about the greens, I think you know greens are great because I, 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 what I do is I get them for salads. But if they start to get wilted and stuff like that, you can easily saute up the spinach and the kale, and you can make a make a meal with them. You know that way, and and you can sort of take them to the full length of their of their lifespan, right? Let's talk some specifics on on what these people are struggling with. Imagine now you're at home, you've got a full family at the house, right? You've got a bunch of kids, and you didn't realize just how much food these kids actually eat. What are some good parenting tips for healthy snacks for kids
2: I really like the mise en place concept that you that's used in the culinary world but you know translated and use it for snacking so mise en place means everything in its place so your ingredients are prepared ahead of time and arranged in individual containers so that they're accessible and they're ready to go. Um, right. So for your kids, you can prepare a number of healthy snacks in different containers. Whether it's pre-chopped fruits and vegetables, you know, um, nuts on the counter, you know, cubed cheese, and you can store that in the beeswax wraps to be to be environmentally friendly. All these things just to keep them within arm's reach. And then to allow your kids to have autonomy and choose what they eat, how much they eat, and when they want. And understanding that the nutrients in these foods, like the protein and fiber, do promote that feeling of fullness and can help your kids learn to self-regulate portions. So rather than really sort of policing snacks too much, which is something that we are really trying to get away from, uh, we're giving kids the, the freedom to choose and the freedom to make these decisions in order to build healthy habits long term.
1: Right, but the key there is to have the right healthy foods available to them to get whenever they want, as opposed to, you know, going towards the cookie jar. Now, Farrell, you got a, You got a yeah. little fella, you know. Yeah. How is he with I mean, snacks?
3: I, I listen. I'm feeling pretty vindicated here. I, I pretty much feel that what Jesse uh, is saying now, I can actually put a definitive term on what I've actually been doing. But but very much <laughs> in the same way we we pre prepare so much so that he has a choice of what's available to him. Because very much when we took it into the house and he knew where it was, he became now as three years old smart enough to figure out snacks are here, opened up, grab the snacks out. We were like, Okay, now we need to basically get rid of that junk food and try to bring in food that's positive options and put it in the place of where the snacks used to be. And very much now he can go and have independent choices of picking out the food that we believe is good for him uh, and still trying to monitor the amount that he's consuming, but knowing that the the food he's going for throughout the day is nutritious and and it's good. And then having that scheduled time of saying, look, we're all going to sit down now as a family and have that committed meal time to make sure that we're still getting those things in there when we do the breakfast and the lunch and, and the dinner. And the fact that we're isolated, we have the ability to do this, and it's been precious. It's allowed me to have more time with my children than I've ever had and I'm soaking up as much of that as I can because very often I'd be eating lunch in God knows where in my vehicle. Now I'm sitting with my children every single day and having a, a, an awesome meal. So there are but there are significant challenges. Don't don't get me wrong. When, when you have to overcome a great deal and you're saying that what can I get my child and how can I feed them on a budget? And a lot of those high-preservative foods are the things that are the cheapest in the supermarket, and we're so traditionally used to giving our children. And it's the thing that probably keeps them, let's say, calm from being isolated, and we're looking to feed their pleasure to try to keep them calm. But, again, as Jessica said over and over again, it, their energies plummet. It's not good food. It doesn't maintain positive energy. So they're burning yeah. themselves out, and then they're overtired, and, and it's very difficult. So for us, it's been uh, it's been great to try to, again, do that, pre-prepare food and get the junk food out of there, but let him have options of access to where it is. Um, it's been yeah. great, yeah.
1: Yeah and and uh and I think that people undervalue the the importance of food sharing just what are the benefits of families of spending time together eating
2: I think there's a lot of I, I, not that I think, but I mean there is a lot of psychology behind eating and behind meal times. So we know that people that sit down with their families to eat, it does develop better eating habits. So eating slower, um, not in, eating in front of the screen, not mindlessly eating, and can give you that sense of community as well. So I think these are all part of you know the the psychology behind proper meal times and the importance of that to really cement some good habits in that you can carry through throughout your life.
3: That's awesome. Yeah, It's a great point about the, about the habits and the idea of how do we develop new ones. And, and this is that time. We, we, we have bad habits, and we need to try to find a way to engineer some new ones. And COVID-19, there
1: might be an opportunity for us to do that. That's right, and family time is, is key right now. So we might as well make the best of it. We're going to jump to a break, but I'm here with Dr. Farrell, Cal Medical Researcher, and Jessica Tong, registered dietitian. We'll be right back.
0: The Health and Wellness Show will be right back on your VOCM. Now back to Dr. Mike Wall. This is the Health and Wellness Show on your VOCM.
1: Welcome back. I'm here with Dr. Farrell Cowell, medical researcher, and Jessica Tong, registered dietitian. Uh, Jessica, why don't you run listeners through what a typical day of health eating looks like?
2: Absolutely. So we always want a good start. Um, for breakfast, I think it's easy to gravitate towards the carbs like bagels and breads and things like that. But we want to ensure that we have our protein, our fiber, and our healthy fats. So breakfast should really look like something uh, like an oatmeal uh, with some natural almond butter or maybe just some crushed almonds. And then with something like berries because berries are high in antioxidants and typically higher in fiber, lower in sugar. Um, Another alternative would be a smoothie, again, with some berries, maybe some uh, raw leafy greens, maybe some plain Greek yogurt as a protein source. And then the key for smoothies really is to moderate the amount of fruit that you're adding in because fruits are still a source of sugar, so we don't want to, you know, overdo it. Mm -hmm. Uh, For lunches, um, if you're looking for something a little bit more comforting or hearty, a lentil and kale soup with some seedy high-fiber crackers, also Great. For dinner, um, I like tomato-based stews and soups. And to Farrell's point earlier, you know, the liquid uh, that you are consuming, it can give you that feeling of fullness. It's important for metabolism. So when you're doing a super stew, you have that fluid component. Um, I like to use leaner proteins like ground turkey, or you can do like a seafood super stew. Otherwise, it may be just something as simple as grilled or sauteed vegetables with chicken or fish. So a good quality, lean piece of protein. So, you know, throughout the day, you're hitting those different nutrients, the proteins, the fibers, the healthy fats, carbs here and there, but choosing more of the healthy carbs. And there's a lot of balance, there's a lot of variety.
1: Mm -hmm. And eating frequently throughout the day helps keep you from having that triple day where you don't eat all day long, and then you just go on the seafood diet, and you eat seafood, you eat it, and (laughs) sometimes it's the Mm -hmm. the stuff that's easiest to open and not even cook. A lot of people now, a lot of restaurants have have, uh, adapted uh, to the Times and are now doing takeout, uh, different options than we might have seen in the past. What are some tips for people when they're going to be ordering a restaurant now, Jess?
2: So, I think broadly, um, it's important to have the balance again. So, ensuring that our meals do contain vegetables, um, limiting those white or highly processed carbs, washing sodium in your sauces and anything that's smoked or cured. Those are still important things, and that hasn't changed given the pandemic.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, well, there's something that has changed here recently with our restaurant, and that is that uh, you can now purchase alcohol when you're ordering in your meal uh, on one of the food service things. Farrell, you brew beer. Tell us about some of the challenges people are going to face if they're over-consuming alcohol during the, during the time here.
3: Yeah, and that's a great point, Mike. I mean, realistically, like we said, we look at the idea of the consumption of pleasure items, and uh, you know, with alcohol is one of those. Uh, again, it does light us up. It makes us, uh, again, feel great. Uh, for that situation. So it's something we need to make sure we're looking to avoid. It's like junk food. But again, in times of isolation, uh, again, in a lot of cultures, we end up consuming more and more of that. So we got to be very, you know, get cautious because it's very, very high level of calories in alcohol. It's even more per gram than you'll find in a carbohydrate. So it's very uh, critical that we understand that. And very often when we go for alcohol, we're usually getting it as a mix. you know, as a part of something where we're actually adding mix to it, pardon me, and then those mixes have a lot of sugar and they have a lot of things to try to hide that alcohol taste, and that could be very detrimental. We can end up with a lot of increases in calorie intake through consuming alcohol. So we need to make sure we're aware of that. And, again, like I said, for drinking beer, I mean, that's that's bread. But the bread is fantastic. But, again, it's very high in calories, so we need to make sure that we limit the amount that we consume. But, um, again, the idea of going to those restaurants, you know, the thing I would say, again, to what Jess was saying, that you know, it's not fast food when a restaurant gives you an opportunity to, to to purchase from them. So have some patience and realize you have to order ahead. And if you're going to get a good meal from them, a healthy, good meal, then you just have to make sure it's not going to be that fast food experience. And, and expect that it's not going to be that fast food experience. And maybe that's going yeah. to help you because you shouldn't be going for that that quick fix, uh, you know, situation anyway.
1: Yeah. And so for you guys with your family here, I mean, you got two kids and your wife, and you guys are all working. Um, how are you guys managing it? Do you guys have some food taken out? Do you are you cooking a lot more? Like what's the what's the,
3: yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Honestly, to, to to you know, not not to name drop, but there there are certain um, you know companies, you know, specifically in Newfoundland, uh, that have allowed their food to be they're put in places frozen. Uh, they've allowed their, some of their products and abilities to be put in partial uh, construction then that would mean you can find them refrigerated at grocery stores so you can take it home and, and complete the item on your own um, and some of those things have been great so a lot of restaurants have created a lot of opportunities for us to be able to go and do that mm-hmm. and also the idea of the non-contact pickup where again we can go to a certain location and have it dropped in a certain place where there's no contact and we can get access to a great meal and that's important not only just for, you know, for us to have that break, but it's also a part of that. You know, let's say relationship aspect that I'm, I'm in here with the children, but I, I'm also here with my wife, and we need to find time to have you know, a date night and some opportunities together. And realistically, going out and getting that food allows us to complete that option. So that that's something we've taken advantage of with restaurants that serve food. So we we say keep that up. That's fantastic, and, and we're really excited about the Ford momentum of Again, our shared space and social distancing and getting back to those restaurants, supporting local and making sure that we're ever mindful of those people that are working hard
1: to get us that, that good food. That's right. I've got a lot of friends in the restaurant industry. They're being extremely resourceful, and it's nice when you yeah. call up your favorite restaurant and uh, they got great healthy food, but uh, it's also sold out, which is good for them. I- I'm happy about that. <laughs> yeah, that's,
3: yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, it is,
1: yeah and it is, it, that's just resilience, and that's, what I, that, that's some of the things that are coming out yeah, just- of this that are really positive.
3: Yeah. Don't, don't be hard on them unless they're sold out. That's great.
1: That's good. Yeah, great. Perfect. That's great. call models <laughs> <That's, laughs> uh, are, are learn to make it yourself, which brings us <laughs> to the next thing. And, Jessica, like uh, the folks uh, might not know this about you, but you're an amazing uh, chef, uh, and uh, you've got a, an amazing Instagram with all the foods you cook. Maybe you can guide folks through what the best things are to cook in, like, bulk so we can freeze it, like batch cooking, because that's a really common thing these days.
2: Yeah, thanks, Mike. That's really generous. Um, I think when it comes to batch cooking, what you really want to do is double up on your recipes, um, whether it's in a slow cooker, or instant pot, or any other uh, tool that you have, and then refrigerate part of it or, and then freeze the other half. So a lot of people will say to me, you know, this recipe makes six servings, eight servings, and I just can't see myself even eating it six times or eight times in a row. But really, that's not the point of batch cooking. It's just to have these meals available for those busier nights, for those uh, times when you don't feel like cooking, to have a healthy option available so that you're not referring to a fast food drive through So it's to have the good options around for you that sets you up for success. I think now is um, really the best time to sharpen up on those knife skills or or develop some of those cooking techniques and cooking skills because there are so many resources out there. I think that a lot of your favorite restaurants are putting out videos, putting out tutorials on how to cook or how to make their – recipes, because you know people are craving that. They are missing those foods. So I think with all the resources that are out there now, um, it's really a great opportunity to learn some of these uh, new skills.
1: Yeah. And if somebody wanted to follow some of the recipes you make for home chefs, well, how could they find you on social media?
2: Mm-hmm. So my uh, Instagram handle is jessicatall.rd, R-D standing for Registered Dietitian. And yeah, I like to share cooking techniques, but also recipe ideas and the nutritional value of these foods, too.
1: Right, right.
3: Yeah, it's it's, it's just this point. I mean, I I very much um, find that when I do batch cooking, it's really to salvage produce. Sometimes the produce is starting to go Mm -hmm. south. I don't want to lose it. I really don't want to have the weight to eat those meals. Sometimes it becomes a strategy of saying, what do we have left and how can we make a, a creative meal? And I find that that might be a great motivator.
1: All right, well, we're starting to wind down here, guys, but I want to ask you a few questions just for fun, okay? Uh, we'll start with you, Farrell. Four questions, and as quick as you can, favorite place for you to get ideas for cooking and recipes?
3: Uh, oh, where, the, sorry, locations where I can get them? Uh, I find the
1: internet. It's great. Internet. Yeah, internet, okay. Not a favorite person, favorite <laughs> chef, anybody? No? Okay, good. Best, What's your favorite meal to cook, bulk? Uh, definitely chilies. Yeah, okay. Best snack food in a rush? Almonds and olives. Yeah, and most important eating habit:
3: water. Drink water.
1: Drink lots yeah. of water. All right, Jess, you get a bit of a heads up on this one. Where's your favorite place to get recipes <laughs> and ideas?
2: I've been loving Chef Michael Simon. I'm a bit old school that way. He's an Iron Chef. I follow the Iron Chef, and he's uh, put out 47 uh, cooking videos uh, over the last uh, eight weeks or so, and it's it's really been amazing and really uh, informative.
1: That's awesome. What's your favorite batch cooking meal? Mm-hmm.
2: Um, My current favorite is just roast chicken and vegetables, so sort of a one-pan meal, easy cleanup. Um, I just learned it, so it's fresh on my mind, but buying a whole chicken is also a great way to um, save money. It's very cost-efficient. Basically, you're roasting the whole chicken with a bunch of different vegetables and, you know, very versatile. You can do any sort of vegetables, whether it's, you know, onions, carrots, your shallots, et cetera, Um, but very flavorful and, again, super easy.
1: Nice. Uh, Best snack in a rush.
2: My current favorite is uh, cheddar and this Norwegian crisp bread, which I hope I'm not butchering the name, but it's called Sigdal, Uh, but very seedy, uh, high-protein, high-fiber, low-carb, contains healthy fat. So really, you know, everything in one. Um, So really loving that right now.
1: Sounds good. And your most important habit for eating right.
2: I think it's consistency. Um, if you only do it sometimes and not most of the time, you may not reap the benefits. It's not that you had to do 100% of the time. I don't think anyone is 100% all the time, but it is you know, having that consistency um, each day, each week, and keeping good nutrition and good habits at the forefront of the mind. Um, you know, Again, there's always room for the favorite foods and the treats, but it's just about how often and how much. That's
1: great. Well, guys, we've got a few seconds left. Really quick final words, Farrell?
3: Um, again, I just think set some realistic goals about how to try to get some of that junk food out and try to find out how to be a little bit more nutritious. Uh, And then again, amongst all the food situations, which are important, try to be physically active. It's very hard. All the gyms are closed. You can't get out to do the regular physical activity. So adapt, try to find ways of doing it in the home or or outside when you can. So increase physical activity, uh, lots of hydration, and try to find a way to reduce the snacks and make some good goal sets of eating better food. Amazing. And Jessica, your final thoughts?
2: I think when it comes to nutrition, there really isn't a one-size-fits-all. There's no one fad diet out there that works for everyone um, and can help you get to you know, every single goal that you have. So I think you know, recognizing that and trying to customize a plan and personalize it as much as possible is really the best way to look at it. Um, trust in the process. Change doesn't happen overnight. It does take time. It takes effort. It takes perseverance. Um, but that's what makes it worthwhile.
1: That's great. Well, thanks so much for your time today, guys. I really appreciate all your insight. I know the listeners got a lot out of this today. It's such a challenging topic and such a challenging time to really tackle it, but uh, thanks so much for being here.
3: Of course. Appreciate being on. Thank you.
1: All right. Well, that's today's show, guys. I was here with registered dietitian Jessica Tong and medical researcher Dr. Farrell Cal. We will see you back here same time next week.